This is Toolbox.Vet, a guide for providers and advocates working with veterans. Thanks for listening. This is Tyler Solorio at Swords of Plowshares, and today we are going to be talking about veteran education. And starting us off, uh, Victor, if you want to introduce yourself. My name is Victor Nzunza, policy analyst at Swords of Plowshares, and also doing primarily research around education. Great. When we talk about education, oftentimes we're talking specifically about the GI Bill. I feel like anytime we talk about student veterans, the GI Bill is unavoidable. We have to talk about it. I think what's important for folks listening in when we do have this conversation about the GI Bill is that that's only going to be a small part of what we're actually talking about right now. Um, But there are also a lot of veterans who do go to college who either don't get the GI Bill, um, maybe ran out of GI Bill benefits, or they decided that they would rather pass GI GI Bill benefits off to a family member. And so it's, and the work that Victor has been doing and kind of the research that we've been doing primarily here at SWORDS is uh, a lot more than just focusing on the GI Bill, but holistically talking about student veterans and the student veteran experience. So with that in mind, uh, we can start off talking about the GI Bill if you want to. Absolutely. So I'm not going to go ahead and get into the historical elements of the GI Bill. Most people know what the GI Bill is. Um, It is important to know that there have been several iterations of the GI Bill and that over time, this policy, which has been around since 1944, has changed to adapt to um, how culture, uh, education, expenses, all of these things have changed over time. Uh, In our current era, We've got a lot of different elements that did not exist in 1944, of course. And so student life has changed drastically. um, And this isn't exclusive to the veteran community at all. Uh, I think that everyone is trying to do their best to adapt to fund their college experience. Uh, Veterans are somewhat fortunate in the fact that they do have a GI Bill that helps to pay for their education. It certainly got me through college. Uh, I'm very thankful for that. I think that um, ultimately the GI Bill was a, a, a pretty robust benefit and still is, of course, uh, for me personally. So my experience with the GI Bill was pretty great. I was able to you know, accomplish a lot um, in, a, in a pretty, pretty normal amount of time and, and not take on too much expense um, because of that. However, um, like many other people, that's not the end of the story. And certainly I did have to take on some debt. Uh, I know a lot of other people who have had this experience. And like Tyler has um, described, many people do not get the GI Bill. Many people run out of funds before they complete their degree. Other people decide to give it uh, to a family member instead. And so there's a lot of different paths that people take. Uh, so the GI Bill um, overall, has adapted to um, our current era as best it can. Uh, one of the real big challenges, I think, is that a college has just gotten more expensive. Uh, I think that everyone has kind of been impacted by that. So anyone who really wants to advance their education and hopefully get into a better career has faced this dilemma. Do I go to college and if it's going to cost me a lot of money, do I still pursue it anyway? Is the payoff going to be there when I'm done? Uh, 
And so for many people, uh, they're a bit hesitant. I know that a lot of veterans tend to wait for a while before they go to school. Um, I know I did wait about a year to really start taking college seriously. And I don't think that that's uncommon. Um, some people wait longer than that. Um, in the past, when GI Bill would run out in you know, 10 years or so, something like that, people waited too long and then didn't get to use it at all. Uh, so the GI Bill itself is definitely a pretty uh, robust benefit. It's a significant uh, piece of policy um, if we look at bills that have been passed over time. It's, it's a really, really impressive thing to, that's ha that has happened. And so it's, it's something interesting, I think, to know about. Nonetheless, one of the things that I think we've seen in, in our field is that changes have to be made and how do we discover these? So our, our part in this was really just investigating and seeing you know, how people respond, uh, talking with veterans, are there still limitations? Are there still challenges that they're facing? And the answer to that is yes, they are. Um, along with this, I think that supportive services on campuses are struggling with ways to support veterans overall. How do they really um, include them in, in the larger culture so that they can succeed as well? And so there are all of these um, intricacies that are taking place, lots of factors to consider. Um, appropriate responses, I think, are there. And so hopefully that's what we've done our best to discover. I've certainly been working on this for a long time. Um, personally, just for myself, I've been with SORTS for almost five years now, which is a pretty long time, and have done most of my work on education research. Um, prior to that, though, something that I'd like to share is that I think one way to really start to answer a lot of these questions, like I said, being you know investigative about it, being curious, um, but what if you're not a policymaker? What if you're not a policy analyst? What if you're not a researcher in general who can write about these things? Um, how would you go about organizing veterans so that you can make changes that you felt were necessary? Um, sure, Tyler has um, certainly got a, a significant background in this, and in a, a lot of ways, our kind of advocacy paths intersected. Um, the only difference mainly was that we're doing them in different parts of the country. So Tyler, you want to tell, tell everybody about that? So before I ended up here at SWORDS, I was on the Illinois Board of Higher Education and specifically my role as a student board member, but I was representing non-traditional students. So clearly veterans are non-traditional students, um, although a lot of other people fall under our purview and kind of deal with similar challenges and struggles. And, uh, and so just kind of generally my understanding or at least what the view I started developing was yeah, we're coming in with better discipline and better ways to be able to handle ourselves in higher education. But at the same time, there was a lot of challenges um, for some of us, like talking about how you and I like both went to college recently, uh, like either at the time of military or the time of us coming back from deployment. I know I started going to college a year after I came back from Afghanistan. And there was just like a whole host of issues that I had when it came to trying to 
fit in in college. And I don't mean that in a social sense, like fitting in with my peers. I had a great time. There was a lot of really awesome students, even though I felt like, you know, the old person in the group. Um, but having professors recognize that, hey, I'm not a traditional student. The vast majority of students are not traditional students anymore. Um, I am working and I do have like an actual life outside of school that requires my attention. Fortunately, you know, I'm not in the capacity where I have children or anything like that, but there are a ton of non-traditional students and a ton of veterans who have families that they have to take care of and provide for. If they do have the GI Bill, they might have a stipend, but that stipend might not be enough. Uh, if they don't have the GI Bill, then there's probably a huge chance that they're working full-time. And so how are you going to treat a person who is not a traditional student and who has a busy personal life that is a bunch of obligations that they can't shrug off and, uh, and then go and assign them a ridiculous amount of homework that is in actually many ways like unnecessary. Like there's this bar where they're like, well, we expect if you're doing this many hours of school and everything, anybody that has any amount of academic experience can tell you that's not the case and that it just wildly varies from professor. There's some professors where it's like all the work I need to do for them, I can do on a Saturday. And that's fine. And so it, it's inconsistent. Um, and what ends up happening, and it, it could be driven um, by faculty, is that it, it creates a system of inaccessibility. Uh, and I also feel like this varies too uh, from schools are what you're doing. Um, so for me, going through public policy, my background was more quote unquote liberal arts. Uh, seeing veterans have to go through stuff like STEM and the amount of effort and demand that gets put on students in STEM, the people who are most likely to succeed in STEM are students who are coming from a very traditional background who are being provided for by their parents and who are basically being set up where there's no way that they have to work full-time or raise a family outside of it because the workload's absolutely ridiculous and it's not necessary and it's inaccessible. And so that was the background of my advocacy uh, from when I was in was just trying to get the point across there's non-traditional students who deserve all the same uh, accessibility and affordability necessary in order to do it. And that there's a lot of ways that schools fundamentally operate that they don't have to, that harms how we as non-traditional students are able to access school and meaningfully participate, despite the fact that it actually has nothing to do with us as individuals and that we can all exceed and are fully capable of doing it, but it's your catered curriculum, uh, who does your curriculum catered to. And then, you know, outside of that, the obvious support services that like we've talked about and I've gotten into in terms of research. And so just seeing like the vast differences in how, hey, I'm trying to get either financial aid, housing, um, counseling support, any of these other stuff. And, uh, and if you get it, maybe again, it's catered to that 18 year old whose parents are providing for them. And it's like, okay, well, great. But how does this work for me as a person in my mid-20s with a family? Like, it, it doesn't work the same way. And then, you know, and this is also something we can talk about, is how wildly different it can be from campus to campus, which is a testament to also how the problem in itself isn't a universal problem if there are campuses who can do it incredibly well, right? So the problem isn't us. The problem is what are the things that are established at these campuses that are established uh, by different administrations and what uh, support services are enabled and provided for by the state and how it works with the campus. Exactly. And I've seen a lot of different 
variations of veteran supports on campus too. Uh, I have to say like my advocacy path was interesting because I didn't really know I was an advocate until someone else told me. And <laughs> I just I just felt like people needed to get together and you know they needed to talk to people on campus who actually would listen to them and could make changes. Um, you know, I was not very involved in, in, the, in the veteran community when I was in community college. I was kind of just trying to get through. I was taking a lot of classes. I was trying to just get all of my, um, you know, general education completed so I could transfer. It was, my primary goal was to, to spend as, uh, the least amount of time as I possibly could, um, you know, in community college because, you know, I felt in some ways a lot of pressure I think I was about 25 when I went back to college. And so that, that made me feel like, you know, I want to get this done. I got to get, you know, into the career field somewhere. I got to start establishing myself. But um, when I did transfer um, to University of Pacific, uh, coming from Delta College, uh, it was a big jump, a lot of different changes. It was a private university, of course, so that was a different dynamic. And again, it's probably a testament to how campuses are different, but uh, something happened, right? So I started to run into veterans there and I didn't expect to run into veterans there because I didn't think many veterans would be going to a private university. They probably would wanna to go to state school maybe, um, but to my surprise and, and thankfully even, there were a lot of veterans uh, that, I, that I actually made friends with and so, it was around that time that we started our own chapter of the S SVA, Student Veterans of America chapter, and, and we started to organize and get people to come to meetings and started to talk to faculty and staff and administrators, all these people, and kind of give them our perspective. And so this was, uh, you know, this was really right around the time post 9-11 GI Bill was happening. And so a lot of things were kind of unknown to people and one of the things in particular was the yellow ribbon program uh, which is available to private universities um, our campus did not have it um, when i got there so they didn't really know a whole lot about it and so that's a problem of information so there are always different kinds of problems uh, problem information is a typical one i think and so after some uh, advocacy magic, of course, talking to everyone that I knew that was actually, you know, in alliance with veterans on campus and who was willing to go to bat for us. Um, they put together a task force. We, you know, sat on the same task force, talked to them at meetings, approached um, people in financial aid office, told them what the Yellow Ribbon Program was, why it was important to have at University Pacific, and specifically because um, it's a very expensive college and a lot of veterans would benefit from having that provision there. And even beyond that, one of, one of our pitches was, well, if you have this in place, you're going to have a lot of veterans who want to come here. And so you're not only increasing access, but you're getting students who are really serious about um, their academic work and who can bring a lot to the table. Uh, so 
there are a lot of things that we use to try to uh, persuade people. Uh, I got an opportunity to talk to the president of the university at the time. And it was really, really a great experience, to be honest, you know, as an advocate. And like I said, I didn't really know exactly what being an advocate meant at that time. Um, but one of the things that I learned during that time was that when you're an advocate, you're also, you have to kind of remember, like, to be your own advocate first in a way. So um, I think that there are a lot of people that advocate for different groups and um, out of goodwill, out of altruism. And that's amazing. You know, I think that that's a wonderful thing. Um, sometimes you have to be a representative, though, as an advocate of your own community. And you have to be that person who speaks up and you have to have um, an ability to convey a message that actually makes sense to people. So um, again, um, you know, I always try to remain level-headed about these things. It's easy enough to get angry, right? If there's a problem of information, you want to tell people you don't know what you're talking about, you know, go look it up or um, why don't you know this, right? Uh, that's the wrong approach to, to go about it. What you want to do is you want to gather the information. You want to present it in a meaningful way to people. If you don't do that, they're not going to take you seriously, of course, and they're not going to see the value. Um, ultimately, we're trying to persuade people when we're, when we're doing advocacy work and education field is no different than any other field um, that you might try to approach. You always have to have facts. You always have to have a solid message. You also have to have a payoff for whoever you're trying to persuade. And so keep those things in mind. That's not the, that's the short list. If, if anyone wants to know what the long list is, uh, they can reach out to me. But um, beyond that, I think that uh, one of the things, like I said, about persuasion is, you know, trying to get that information to the public. How do you, you know, inform people if there's that problem, problem of information? What do you do, right? So what are your avenues of approach for that? So um, in the work that Tyler and I do, we do a lot of community education, which I think is a great, is a great avenue for, for actually reaching people in the educational field you are actually teaching them something. So they're getting something of value from that experience. We sit down for an hour to two hours with someone from um, a specific university, a group of people. And we say, look, this is what it means to be a veteran you know, on your campuses. These are some things that you should consider. If you're looking at your supportive services teams, these are the things that they need to know. And this is how they can actually help these people graduate and do their best because ultimately we want people to succeed. Um, I think that that's the goal of education is to, is to impart knowledge to people, um, to help them develop their skills, of course, but also to learn how to give back to larger society in some way that's meaningful. Would, would you agree? Yes. Um, and I, I think that's kind of like the uh, talking in the vein of kind of this, cultural training or like cultural understanding is there are a lot of different disconnects and a lot of parts of um, and different challenges where we have people who do clearly care um, but just may not know or may not understand and being able to bridge that and being able to bridge those connections and being able to bridge those connections um, I think that's like a critical part of kind of what we do, what we do. And 
being able to engage like as a community and talk about things as a community and educate as a community, but also pull together as a community. Like I could just keep rehashing it, right? Um, but but that's the part where we're talking about because we're not just talking about individual impacts. We're talking about, hey, this is a collective impact. Uh, regardless of who we are, this is collectively what we're going through in certain channels and what we're facing, but what we also working together are capable of changing. Exactly. And I mean, ultimately, I think what we always want people to take away is why is it important to know this? You know, there's a lot of different groups that deserve attention within the academic community. And, you know, everyone should have some sort of sense of their cultural history. So why are veterans so important? And I think that, you know, the answer is um, that they, just like everyone else, deserve the attention, um, you know, that kind of understanding and where they're coming from. Um, nobody wants to feel alienated, I think. Um, that's one of the problems of, of, I think, our society is that a lot of people end up being alienated, um, pushed to the margins, and then it's harder for them to find paths for success. And so when we have veterans that come on to campus, um, we want to see them being accepted and understood. Uh, it's a great opportunity to share a lot of information. So for veterans, it's, it's a great opportunity. I hope that veterans do talk about their experience as hard as it is to do um, so that people know, okay? Because people um, may not have access to that kind of um, story, right? So they may be curious, but what, where do they get that information? So it's better for them to get good information that way that they can change their perspective and be informed on that culture. So I think that's one reason why it's definitely important to share that kind of information. Yeah, and, and also, I think it's also important to stress because it's like, there are times where when we're asked about this or um, this comes up in terms of faculty conversation or just staff conversation when it's like, hey, this is important for y'all to know about veterans. It's like, okay, well, why like veterans and not like another group? which to me is odd in the sense of I'm not interested in competing because that also helps you better inform on other things like better like you should also be learning about them um like veterans are also a very diverse group just because we teach you about collectively about veterans doesn't mean you know a particular thing about uh any one specific group within veterans like women veterans have a unique experience as well Black veterans have a unique experience as well. And so it would behoove people to actually go and learn about all these different types of things. So that way they understand at the points of which it intersects and how that manifests and what does that look like when they're dealing with student veterans. And, um, and then it's also kind of the two-way street too of student veterans also kind of need to understand the environment that we're in. So that way we're self-aware in how we navigate it. Um, like on the flip side, I've seen, you know, and this is kind of just in a joking sense, I've seen student veterans, I don't even know how many times get in trouble for cursing, right? And, uh, and that's just kind of fundamentally a part of military culture that I feel like is embedded with us is that we're definitely more prone to cur curse than other people. And then at the same time, though, if I'm looking at a student veteran who's putting curse words in their PowerPoint presentation, it's like, come on, like, you know, that was not going to come out good. If you accidentally dropped an F-bomb during the course of a presentation, that's one thing. 
actually featuring it as a part of your PowerPoint presentation. I take a moment. Um, yeah, there has to be a balance and it's it's an exchange, like you said. And so that's one of the reasons that the veterans really need to, to kind of, um, you know, reserve some of their judgment a little bit. And so I will say this too, that um, I've experienced some biases as well with um, veterans who um, perhaps just don't take other students seriously because they're younger, because they haven't seen the world like they have. And, you know, that's, that's a, that's a really um, damaging thing uh, to have that perspective. And the reason why, if I, if, you know, if I get an opportunity to kind of just go ahead and say this, because it's important to do, even if it's not necessarily popular here, is that, you know, you don't really know their life either. And you can't assume that they haven't, you know, struggled with some adversity themselves. And so there has to be an intersection with students who are not veterans and students who are. And I think that that's the same kind of intersection that needs to exist with staff and faculty and everyone. Um, ultimately, universities were designed to teach people and to also um, teach people how to learn about other people, um, other cultures, history, all of these things. Um, in the hopes that we can avoid um, engaging in damaging behavior, um, that we can become a better society. Um, these are all the things that I hope education stands for. And so in, in this smaller subsection, uh, this community, um, it's better for us to be informed and to be accepting. If we wanna be accepted ourselves, that's part of what we have to do. Uh, there, are, you know, there are so many um, non-veteran people out there in the world who are working exceptionally hard to help us. And so that's a reason to, to really try to reserve judgments that we might have or biases. That actually makes me want to like, because you know, up to this point, I think anytime we talk about supportive services or whatnot, it's been kind of like this tension or issue that's been going on like at times with supportive services and not being understanding. Um, but with that said, I think in our, in our collective experience, um, with both of our research and personal interactions and just also like as formerly student veterans, there's been amazing support staff. There are people who've gone above and beyond uh, in a lot of different ways. And so, which is, I think also a testament too, because like you can have, you know, a vet center at two campuses, one vet center, all right, they get your paperwork done. Maybe they have like some other things to plug you in. And um, at another campus, you could be at a vet center where these people go above and beyond like they they help you transition into that uh, environment as well as they possibly can. And they are able to just help you in a variety of different ways. And there's been so many times too when I've seen like these um, these support staff, a lot of whom are not veterans, um, but just have like this exceptional kind of like understanding of what they know and do not know and how they navigate these spaces. And you could also see it with student veterans too and how they interact with them where like the student veterans clearly understand like, hey, like these folks are great. Like I recommend other student veterans go to them, uh, connect to them, talk to them. Um, and so, you know, in, in the capacities I've seen it, I've seen it come from like a lot of non-traditional student support services or like quote unquote, like adult support services, being able to come in 
help clarify things for me, help address paperwork issues that I might have, give me recommendations or putting things matter of factly for me, or just clarifying things that I don't have an understanding of. And, uh, and that's been really important. I've also, I've been to community colleges that have a really, really thorough uh, veteran support staff that could help me on a bunch of different stuff that made me feel at home at that campus and that were great. I've also been to colleges that don't remotely have that. And it, the, the experiences are night and day. I've seen, you know, at the campuses where they did have that support staff, I would see other student veterans. We'd often meet at the intersections of these supports. Um, we'd congregate these places and very much were places we could go to if we were having issues, if we just wanted to talk, if we wanted to have a sense of like community, um, these places would be great. And then there's other places where you might just have like a certifying official who you go to who maybe knew the paperwork, but then like didn't go beyond that, which, you know, that isn't necessarily their job. There are some people who step above and beyond their actual job role. And then there are others who do, who do not. But in those same places, it was like, if you just wanted to get an answer on a basic thing about paperwork, about, hey, like, why is my stipend not coming in? Or, hey, what do I need to do for the GI Bill thing? And just not really getting a response or kind of being left in the dark and not knowing about whatever issue was going on or if you were seeking help and you couldn't get it and it felt like your head was just like hanging into a ceiling and it wasn't going further than that. The, the mood was almost always apparent. And the places with amazing support staff, you could talk and interact with other student veterans and they would be enjoying their time there. They'd have a great interaction with them. They felt taken care of. And then the places that didn't have those support service staff, it was just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know who I'm supposed to be able to go to. Nobody knows about what I'm asking about or talking about and just kind of feeling like left out to dry. That's, yeah, that's definitely something that I've seen as well. And so one of the more encouraging things to see is when, when you really have those you know, exceptional um, centers, you know, vet centers on campus, that's, they're just really great at what they do. They have a whole process for um, making things work. Veterans feel comfortable going there. And um, that's keeping um, them in a positive mindset for while they're at college, if, if they feel supported. And so, I mean, that's really why it's critical. Um, certainly there are a lot of um, veteran centers that are really struggling and you know that could be for various reasons funding is definitely a big thing um, most veteran resource centers they're not an established um, you know part of the university there's space that's located on the university that has resources for veterans but they're not necessarily considered part of the larger structure um, which can really be um, damaging for them because they don't have the same you know, institutional support. So every, you know, veteran resource center that exists on campus has to have the support, the full backing of the university. And so that's one thing that I would tell um, leadership at universities uh, to consider if you don't already have a space for veterans to include them in the larger structure, they are a vital and necessary resource, just as much as any other um, resource space on campus and so for that reason it's it's a little bit I think it diminishes what what needs to happen if it's just simply viewed as a club which some people do kind of have that perspective or that um, misunderstanding 
that the, these folks are just, you know, they're hanging out in, in a space on campus. It's really not the same thing. Um, because, for example, if I go to chess club, I, I am actually going to hang out and play chess with friends. That's exactly what I'm going to do and nothing more than that. But um, this is just my example anyhow. And so veterans are not doing the same thing. They're not going to a veteran resource center to play chess, okay? So they're going there to um, have camaraderie, of course, with their peers, but they're also there to get fundamental um, paperwork done. They're going there to find specific resources. They're looking for knowledgeable staff that can help them with this. Okay, so there are also, you know, there's of course perks to having a veteran resource center when you have a study space that you can use. And um, some of them have, you know, some food available, things like that. So basic needs, printing services and whatnot. Those are wonderful things to have, but um, it's, um, it's important to know that there's a huge distinction between uh, a veteran club and a veteran resource center. So that's, that's primarily, I think the difference um, and this is something that we've learned in our research. So having the ability to really investigate these spaces, um, the fundamental needs of veterans, whether they're being met or not, um, their the overall structural support that exists for veterans um, to succeed in college. These are all things that we've learned over the last few years. Um, Tyler has been right alongside me and um, our, the rest of our team really trying to get to the bottom of things and hopefully persuade uh, colleges to find the actual strategy for addressing veterans' needs. And I think that that's what really sets a lot of colleges apart. There are certain universities and, and community colleges that are willing to uh, really take an assessment of where they're at. Um, what kind of benefits do they have to really support veterans? Um, how streamlined is their process for handling paperwork? Um, if there are some other needs that they haven't considered and it comes to their attention, what do they do to respond to that? Um, as we said before, we look at really the whole picture and we're trying to, to include everyone in the, in the universities and community colleges in that environment. Um, when, we, when we find these things out, um, to give kind of a better perspective of, of what's really happening, because it's not just about the GI Bill, like we said uh, much earlier in this discussion, it's about a lot of different things, and every one of them needs answers.